Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Conventional Soldier, a military podcast brought to you by two British Army veterans in association with ISAR.com. Welcome, everyone, and thanks for downloading another episode of the podcast. This is our Christmas film special, and it's been hosted by our resident cultural critic, Simon Vincent, all the way from New Zealand. It's great to have you on the pod, Simon. So what have you got planned for us today? Uh, kia ora koto. Uh, yeah, um, thanks very much, um, Kevin and Colin, for having me along. Well, well I, I thought, you know, it is towards the end of the year, and I thought we could try something a little bit different and, and talk about some of the favourite films that, that we watched um, and maybe reflect a little on why they resonated with us in the troop and the battery over our times. Um, but, but first, I think before we press play on the movies, we, we need to set the scene a little bit. Um, the three of us all joined the OP troop when it was part of the British Army of the Rhine. Uh, this was in the days before TripAdvisor and the like. Everything outside the gates in Germany was, well, it was a bit foreign to us. When we went out in Dortmund, it was to drink in the squaddy bars with other squaddies or do our doby or stock up on kit to make our life in the field more bearable. We were not exactly cultural explorers, making the most of Nordrhein, Westfalen's museums, cathedrals and scenic hotspots. Let's face it, we struggled to cope with the culture shock of mayo on fritz in the local Schnellimbus. Still got the German though, Simon, good to see it. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've, I've not lost it. <laughs> but, 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 you know, looking back on the time, I, I do feel I missed out on a lot of the opportunities that, that now as a pretty well-cultured gentleman I would have seized upon. How, how do you two look back on our days in Germany? I think you've got to look at through what was available. As you said earlier, there was no Netflix, there was nothing. So, and we're pretty, I think, I think it's just immaturity, isn't it, in some respects? 
You know, uh, the b- biggest yeah. cultural thing we did was go to the Mona Zay Dam and sing the Dam Busters tune, run along it after a few beers. <laughs> yeah. I, think, I think also uh, we were in the, we were isolated away from the community a little bit, and you did feel that as well because the way that the the uh, the camps were structured, your social network was always going to be inside the camps. It was always difficult, and and obviously we enjoyed going back to the UK for leave, and then we'd all meet up on in the UK. But yeah, we were very um, an isolated group, and you couldn't get in a lot of the bars as well. If you remember, that's why oh, you, know, yeah. you use that term squatty bar. Yeah, yeah. Because a lot of the, yeah. a lot of the pubs just yeah. won't let you in. No, yeah, yeah. And, and in the early days, in the, in the in early to mid eighties, we weren't really welcomed in a lot of places, even the the more cultural places that we didn't try to get into. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it's it's funny. I, I was thinking back as well on how um, I remember there used to be. Uh, a German language course for um, people as, as they en- entered service over there, but but it, that was limited as well. It wasn't as if they really pushed um, for us to, to integrate any, any better. But, you know, like you say, we, we couldn't get in half of the bars. And then when we went back on leave in, into the UK, we couldn't get in half of them either. So, you know, <laughs> may- maybe there was a reason behind it all. Yeah. I blame the Germans, Simon. Aye. It's dead easy to blame the Germans. Yeah. But but you know, when when we were um you know, spending our time in in, in a BAOR, if, if we were not on operations, exercises or training, a, a large proportion of our time was spent in barracks, in our rooms, living with the people we worked with. Um the NAFI or the PRI shops had provided us with kettles, stereo systems, TV and a video player. The British Forces Broadcasting Service was only offering very limited programming, so videos rented from the NAFI offered us a form of escape from the routine of our in-camp life. Ah, the video. It was all VHS back then, no access to streaming services. The limited movies we did have access to got watched over and over again, and generally with the same mates making the same comments over and over again. (laughs) The movies themselves, I think, became a big part of our routine. And as might be expected of a bunch of squaddies, films with a military angle or at least um, weapons or explosions or the like were a big part of our playlist. Yeah, I think we can touch on that later on, Simon. But I think because I, any soldier wants to go in operations. And if you can't go in operations for real, I think you go in operations through films. Yeah, absolutely. I- yeah. Yeah, and, and I think that's it. We sort of, you know, it was the sort of busman's holidays to a degree where we're watching what, you know, what, what the movie world portrays as life, but, but we're supposedly leading to, to some extent. But, um, well, well, let's discuss some of those films. And I, I've loosely grouped them as um, The Golden Oldies, Hollywood Epics, Close to Home, Vietnam, and now for something completely different. So let's start with the golden oldies. Um, the, these are predominantly covering World War Two. The actors all had very much the BBC accent. Often the films were essentially reenactments of an actual event that took place during the war, with a few changes to keep um, post-war morale, morale high. I'm talking films like The Battle of Britain, Dam Busters, In Which We Serve. Do they um, touch a chord with you guys? I, I think the 70s, we're all 70s kids, aren't we? And 
you think back on it now, well, we grew up in the seventies, weren't born in the seventies. <laughs> <laughs> but I think back back in then, all the veterans from the Second World War would have been about our our age now. And yeah. Britain back in the seventies was obsessed with uh nineteen forty to forty nineteen thirty nine to forty five yeah. for some reason. Yeah. yeah, I think you're right. I think uh when I first joined I went to France with D Day veterans and they were only sixty odd years old and they they took us through obviously where they landed and everything else. And and you forget that actually, you know, they were old men, a little bit older than we are. Um in fact a lot older than me, obviously. Um but but it, but they're their memories and their and then I watch things like the longest day because then you'd have exactly the same. Or you'd watch uh, World at War. Yeah. World at War was yeah. all that real footage. Yeah, mm. I, I found that. I found that. It, it, it. We forget how big a th- event World War Two was. We're never going to understand that because we yeah, didn't get through it. I also think it's the last time that Britain during the seventies probably perceived it did, perceived it had something well mm. because the nineteen seventies Britain economically. Wasn't doing too well, yeah. and we were the sick man of Europe. And I think it was a sort of a harking back to a golden age when things were a bit clearer and Britain was doing okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, what, one of the things I always remember is um, a lot of these films were shown as I was growing up. Were shown on a Sunday afternoon, so mm, you, yeah. you'd, you'd kind of you'd have had your big lunch. You just you know you're, you're in front of the TV watching one of these films, and they. They they must have sort of struck a, a sort of chord with the parents and the older generation watching them, you know, harking back to the day. But but for us, there was probably just you know a bit of action and adventure at the time, mm-hmm. and we were seeing them. But I, it, it's funny because I, you know, look back at a few of them, and you know, we we've mentioned the um, Dan Busters already, and, and how you know that was. Um, I, I guess the story of a film like Dan Busters was was quite simple in a way. There's a problem or, or perceived problem. You know, there's, there's um, this heavy industry. Um, we, we It's got to be stopped, but how do you carry out the task? So, so the film follows that line of coming up, experimentation, practice, giving it a go, and, and then to a final conclusion. And, and I think it, it sort of, it was also part of that... I, I wouldn't say jingoistic, but it, but it was putting a, a powerful message that you know we as a nation achieved something. And I think as well, uh, one of the other things that that struck me was, you know, a lot of the actors um, had possibly served as well. Yeah, Richard um, Todd. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, he dropped in and did he? Didn't he, Richard yeah. Todd? Yeah, he was seven seven para. Not not RHA, but actually one of the seven battalions. Yeah, you're gonna say proper parachute battalion. <gasps> oh, for our listeners again, that's yeah. Colin. Yeah, there you go. But but it, it, it's funny as well that you know um, again of the time we were watching the movies, um, you know that they existed in 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 that um, context of, of other things that were available to us on on TV. So. Now I look back and I think, you know, all of the actors had very pronounced, what do we call it, RP accent, very, yeah, you know, yeah. BBC accents. Mm. Um, and, and anyone who, and, and a lot of the characters were the officers, uh, that, that was where most of the action centred around. And anyone who was another rank was, was probably someone with a, 
BBC accent trying to do a Cockney accent or a, or, or a comedy Northerner. And, and so it was a bit Dick Van Dyke if it wasn't, you know, it, to be in a movie in those days, you probably had to be a, um, you know, quite a high class. You need rather and all the rest. Yeah, of yeah. So we had that. But, but Dan Buss is unusual, and it featured a civilian as well, and and uh, yeah. like Barnes Wallace, didn't it? Because yeah, he was pivotal. Yeah. But interestingly, at the end of the the, the film, I don't know if he says in the film, but I know from reading books about it, he reckoned that he hadn't invented the Bowden bomb because the toll on the air crews. I think of the nineteen aircraft, eight of them were shot down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I guess that's part of that framework of of sort of. It's partly about morale, but it's it was partly about justification as well. You know, every, all of these, you know, the movies we've talked about here. While you know, I don't think anyone would 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 say World War Two. We shouldn't have been involved in in any shape or form. But it was always there was always that sense of we want to show the public why we did these things. Um, and and some of them might might you know at, at the times even in the seventies were you know there was a movement around um, CND was growing and things like that so so there was you know potentially some backlash to military at the time but um, watching those films again at the time were were probably a, a good way of showing look we I had also a, think Simon sorry go on yeah yeah well you know we we had a difficult task and we achieved it as a nation. When you touched on morals there, I think as well with the Dam Busters, it was the only film probably that could have been made about Bomber Command mm. because the raid on the dams was pretty clean. All right, I, I, you know, I say I don't say as glibly, but only a few thousand civilians were killed. You know, and it was against a specific target. Where you compare that to the area bombing and the firestorm in Hamburg, where tens of thousands of people were killed. And even in the 70s and just after the war, Bomber Command never got a medal for their campaign because nope. the whole moral side of area bombing, even just after mm. the war, was up for debate. Yeah. 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 Mm. yeah. yeah. Well, just a, just another one. I was doing a wee bit of research for this, and one that, that struck me was um, talking of aircraft was the Battle of Britain. So that um, came out in 1969. And about one of the... Um, the biggest expenses um, was was getting aircraft replicas or or originals um, to actually be involved in the flying scene, and they they basically said, you know, the just to make it look as realistic as they could, basically, you know, nearly bankrupt the whole movie. The, the cost of the aircraft was more than the cost of everything else involved in the whole putting together of the production. And the guy who who that all, all fell down to, the producer was sort of, at the end of it, was left, well, I've got all these planes now, now what am I going to do? <laughs> but uh, I guess he managed to, to sell them off to, to some enthusiasts afterwards. They've got a lot of Messerschmitts from Spain. Seemingly, the, I think the Spanish Air Force yeah, yeah, a load of Messerschmitts yeah. for some reason. Yeah. <clears throat> the what what year was that again? The film sixty nine. It came out. Well, it's still a, obviously Spain was still being run by uh, Franco. Franco. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. So he would have had yeah, a lot yeah, of uh, yeah. German kit problems. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, going back to the cultural side, 
one thing the Brits always do is they always like to take the mickey out themselves, you know, mm. about the war. And you look at things like Dan's Army, Alo, Alo. And just going back to the Dan Busters quickly, do you remember that Carling Black Label advert where you had the German goalkeeper yeah, 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 and yeah, the yeah, one yeah. is a Dan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but, but, but it's, I, I think that's one of, you know, the other things as well within, within all of these sort of films. There's always that little vignette of, you know, the... Um, a major character do, doing something a bit funny or a little mistake or, uh, you know, or showing, showing the home life and, and that side. So it, it was generally, it was, you know, down the line. This is the movies were almost like a military operation. We've got to show this piece. We've got to do this. Then we'll do this, but we'll throw in a, a little bit of humanity at some point and, yeah. you know, um, to, to catch everyone along. Yeah. All right, should we move on to um, the next section? Yeah. So um, I've called these the Hollywood epics. And, um, you know, just like our patrols, these ones generally featured an all-star cast. These were the movies (laughs) like um, Dirty Dozen, Great Escape, Where Eagles Dur, a personal favourite of mine, A Bridge Too Far. Uh, These films... I guess we're starting also to see a lot more plot and character-driven elements in these films. So, you know, it wasn't, here's the story, and we'll tell it almost like a government-made film. These were actually where they said, hang on, we've got some really top, you know, actors here. Let's um, let, let's really put them put them out there to the public in full-colour cinemascope. Um, you're talking people like Charles Bronson, Telly Savalas, Lee Marvin, some yeah, big names yeah. of the time, um, Clint Eastwood, you know, so it's a real big, um, powerful names and they all, uh, came together. A lot of these films were based around a sort of, um, you know, a ragtag group of, of soldiers brought together for a particular mission. Yeah. Very much like the OP troop, I guess. Um, and, um, uh, yeah, I, I really, really have enjoyed watching some of those and, and just seeing how, yeah, it really took you on a journey, I guess. Um, a lot of them did focus on getting that group together, training them up, um, and and then will they succeed in the mission? Um, resonate with you guys? Think, yeah, absolutely. And I also think, going back to what you were talking about earlier, Simon, 1950s, black and white films about Britain's part in the war. 60s onwards, you start to see that shift where... Um, the tales told about the war are from an American perspective. You know, a bridge too far is definitely uh, the American side of that operation. A lot of it as well, I think. Yeah. yeah. Well, the great escape, I mean, in the real great escape, there was no Americans involved. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I guess that's it. You know, it's, it's, it's where we are actually seeing, you know, to, to get this film across the line, we need a bit of star power and, and yeah, that's definitely. what they did. But um, again, I, I always, you know, like watching things like the dirty dozen. I mean, there must've been a lot of truth behind that story. I, I, I don't know too much really about, about the, the truth of it, but I do know. Um, so, so one of the things about the dirty dozen, they atten- essentially take, took um, soldiers who were in prison facing court-martial, in some cases potentially up for the, for the firing squad, and gave them a, a suicide mission. You know, you've, you've, you've got to be involved. Um, if you survive this mission successfully, we'll 
will give you immunity and things like that. So, so that was the plot. But but I also know there was a lot of um, uh, what was his name, um, Lucky Luciani, the um, American gangster Mafia. who was flown into Sicily. So so you know there, there was a lot of things where people were starting saying that well actually these people who are maybe not the best soldiers in in terms of um drill or you know um how, how they're perceived as as part of a unit may have some qualities that are useful and i think a lot of these films try to to portray the the outsider element as well mm. do you know i reckon as well tarantino is in glorious bastards or bastards or however you pronounce it mm. owes a lot to the dirty dozen in that respect yeah absolutely yeah yeah yeah, yeah. That, be that, the magpie there yeah i, I mean and I, and I think that's it you know they People like him have obviously um, quite quite often showcased some of the uh, you know where they got their ideas from. But but you know mentioning the more modern version, and, and I must admit I, I have not watched um, Saving Private Ryan, for instance. Or, or you haven't Bunker, seriously? Or, no, no. I, it's, it's just it was just one of those things. Wherever I was at the time, it it, it you know I didn't see. So, but but how do you think those that sort of old generation, if you like, of Hollywood epics stands up against some of the more modern version with the star power of these films? I think, yeah, I think Saving Private Riven was a game changer in that opening scene. Uh, I mean, yeah. the downside is you get the you get the feeling that the, the Americans were the only troops on D-Day and the only British troops that get a mention is when a segment of the film, they're slagging off Montgomery's effort and the yeah. British effort. Mm-hmm. But that opening scene in Saving Private Ryan, I mean, you can see it influenced everything after that, that came in its wake. Do you not think, Kev? Yeah, I think probably my favourite more than Saving Private Ryan is Band of Brothers, even though it's not a film. The, the serious Band of Brothers, actually, um, it, again, it's, it's raised the bar massively for sort of war films. Because because the realism, I think they brought more realism into it. They've brought the the horror as well, which which I think maybe the some of the classics avoided a lot of that. They didn't have the amputees on the beaches. They didn't have you know that, that sort yeah. of level of violence. It was there, but not the same because Hollywood. It's a family film, isn't it? Mm. One of the great escape is played every Christmas. It's a family film. Yeah, and that sort yeah. of stuff, and that's yeah. what they, they, I think they yeah. pushed on. Plus, I think it was the era as well because the sixties and seventies, obviously, America was in its uh, Vietnam War, and they didn't want to show the horrors of war when they got people being drafted and sent off to to fight. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, yeah, you exactly. don't think about that, do you? Yeah, they, they 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 softened it maybe in that mm. sort of way because during that period, the sixties and seventies, there's really no Vietnam films about the Vietnam War. Mm. True. Yeah. I mean. The other one I just want to quickly bring up is because during that period we're talking, there's not real many British films getting through all the Hollywood stuff. But no. Wild Geese got to be an absolute classic. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got, it's got the fattest, oldest mercenaries in the world. Yeah. But, <laughs> but, but what, what's the classic line from the, from his little lad? Um, oh, I'm so happy I could scream. I'll go on then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then but, you've got um, the. Uh, the famous medic, come on, my bot, come on, my lovelies. Yeah, he's yeah, take, taking yeah. on the Katanganese uh, soldiers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but but it, but I, I think as well, it's um, you know it, as Kev mentions, uh, Band of Brothers. I, I think that was you know another important part. Is 
they're, they're going down in, into the, you know, the, the real human side of the story a little bit more, you know, w- within those sort of um, productions because, yeah, the big ones, it was all all about getting an audience in, enjoy the time, eat the popcorn and get out. And, and I guess as, as we've moved on, there's a little mm. bit more about let's get an audience to think a bit more. Um, yeah. It's probably I also more. think you get a sense of scale from things like Saving Private Ryan, Band of Brothers. When you see that scene in Band of Brothers where they drop in, you know, and there's a cl- very clever shot where it comes out the aircraft through the door they're going to jump, the side door they're jumping through, and pans back, and you can see all the aircraft flying over the channel, and you get a real sense of scale of what, what it yeah, must have been like. Yeah, I, I think one of those that that um, stands out to me as well because of it, it, it's and it's it's done very well in a few books I've read where you know they close in on an individual and they're saying you know this is the feelings this is this is how this person's going through you know this momentous occasion and then it pans back and says and there's thousands and thousands of others you know um in yeah. in 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 that moment in time as well yeah and the the other thing people forget is i mean the main difference between the allied forces and the uh, german forces i mean our forces the brits and americans in the main were citizens armies they weren't conscripted Sorry, they, they were conscripted, but they, they were citizens' armies. So it wasn't like the, the Wehrmacht or the German forces whereby it was a dictatorship. You had to go in. You know, if you didn't do your job, you are executed. Hmm. So even though Allied forces were conscripted, there was an element of democracy about it. You had to look after hmm. them. You couldn't just yeah. sacrifice them needlessly like yeah. they did in World War One. Yeah. I think that's another thing that yeah. comes out in Band of Brothers, you know, hmm. that... Those airborne guys were volunteers on top of a citizen's army. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think there's also an element, you know, to, to build on from that. Were um, because you know these were just regular people who were in in an extreme situation, but but you know that's how we we now are, are able to look at them. But um, I, I think we touched upon this when we were talking on about books. In that um, you know, if someone was a prisoner of war. Um, while all the glory goes to those who tried to escape and did that, but, but for so many people, it was a, well, I'm safe, I'm alive. And this is probably better than, you know, it, it's better to sit here and, and, and sit out the war yeah. than anything else. And, you know, again, fair play to them for, you know, being in that situation anyway. Absolutely, mate. Mm. So the next section we're going to move on to? Yeah, now I've called these close to home because um, I think the, these are the sort of movies that start to cover some of the, the conflicts um, that ourselves or our contemporaries uh, would have actually been involved in. Um, and it's sort of fairly broad range, really, but I've included um, the movie Who Dares Wins, uh, Tumble Down from the Falklands, and Three Kings from the Gulf War. Um I'm, I always remember, and I, just just as the sort of bit of background on who dares wins, um, it, it was kind of loosely based on the Iranian embassy siege mm-hmm. um, that the SAS took part in in eighty one. But um, I remember reading the book. Now the book's called Tiptoe Boys, um, yeah. and um, the writer James Follett was was a journalist who lived around the corner from the Libyan embassy, and he sort of said, wow, there's got to be a story in all this. It, it was, it a, you know, when when the SAS were, were first becoming really in, in the public's attention uh, because of this. And he 
decided to write. And as he was writing, he he also um, let people know, you know, what he was up to. And, and someone said, "Okay, we'll do." Uh, someone bought the rights and was, you know, we'll make a movie of it. But what actually happened? He was writing it chapter by chapter, and as he wrote a chapter, it was flown off on Concord, I think, to screenwriters in in the states, and and they were putting for production together at that time so it was as as he was writing his novel um it was also being turned at the same time into a screenplay which which is quite unusual for for filmmaking in itself but it was uh you know it it, it was a, a film which i think any anyone who watched it would have obviously got the connections to the iranian embassy and things like that which had probably just been on the news you know literally a year or a few months uh, prior to that movie coming out. You look back on it now and it's like a, it's like, it's like bad, bad TV movie now, I think. It's yeah. certainly amongst the other films you're comparing it to there. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. stand up very yeah. well. And, and, and I think there's an element of that. I mean, Lewis Collins was um, the star and, and he was, you know, he came from that sort of TV um you know, background um, in the Sweeney and, and the professionals, professionals. And, and things like that. <clears throat> and so, yeah, it was probably, probably making use of his status um, to make a, to make a movie, but yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it's, it, it's probably wrong to say it's comical to look back. It, it's like everything, things are of the time. I think when you, when you look back, but um you know, it, it was interesting to to see something so. Um, but Lewis recent. Collins, yeah. yeah. Sorry, sorry, Lewis Collins. I don't know if you know, he served with Four yeah. Para. Yeah, that's right. And, yeah. and did P Company, and he was going to go for either two one or two three SES, but because he had a high profile public image, he wasn't allowed to. And I was reading a couple of things on online about Lewis Collins, and he's quite well regarded. There's a couple of his DS in the, in the parachute regiment at the time had wrote in saying he was a good soldier and and, and pretty fit. Yeah, and, and and I think that's that's one of those things that you know of his time. He he's probably one of those who, well, from everything I've seen of him, it, you know, an opportunity came up to to be a star, and and he jumped at that. But if, if things had gone other ways, he, he would you know he looks like he would have been. Yep, I'm going in the military. That's that's the path for me. But um, you know. Red carpet, champagne, and all that. Yeah, <laughs> or, probably or, or choice. Stuck in a trench, crapping in plastic bags. Yeah, Half absolutely. Choice. Yeah, yeah. I think also is of, of the time as well because the eighties, especially the early eighties, late seventies, and, and Colin mentioned it earlier. It was quite a depressing time in the UK. High unemployment. We needed good news stories, so the Iran embassy was a good news story, and the film came at the right time. It was a, it was a, a bolster to the to the British psyche, perhaps to make us all feel a little bit better about ourselves because there wasn't a lot of yeah, good news at the yeah. time. Yeah, well, I, I did read um, one review that basically said it was a, a, a Conservative Party um, political campaign as such. It, it was almost, you know, it was too good to be true for yeah. for a sort of uh, a government <laughs> at the time yeah. um, to, to, to show that. Um, another one, and again, of... Um, Reflecting a, a similar time of, of, of when it was set, but uh, came out in '88 was Tumble Down, which was uh, Colin Firth. I guess that was one of his first um, real, yeah. uh, you know, um, came into the public's uh, consciousness. And um, this was um, 
based around um, a guardsman in the in the Falklands um, who um, was injured and 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 came home and and I guess it was controversial in that it was starting to show um, someone someone's feelings after a conflict and 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 a feeling that um, it, it made a big thing of saying that you know um, we weren't looked after when we returned. Um, it's probably worth pointing out though, Simon, the character it's based on, Lieutenant Robert Lawrence. He was shot in the head just during the reorganisation phase yeah, of yeah, the yeah, battle, the and he lost some a cup full of his brain. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. And when he's taken off the mountain and he got to regimental aid post, when they were doing the triage, they just left him to one yeah. side because they thought yeah. he's never going to make this. And yeah. after the sort of the a lull happened, one of the medics was walking past him and just happened to see him move. So it's it's a, an incredible story of survival as oh, well. Oh, abs- abs- absolutely! But um, yeah, it, but you know, there's that element of of what's it? What what is there for? those survivors of those people who come back afterwards and, and, and how they're treated. That, I guess that was a big, you know, second half or second act or whatever you call it in the, in the film world um, that focused on. Yeah. Um, so looking at the ones you mentioned there as well, so I think the Vietnam ones all, all stand out. Um, and for me, Platoon, uh, not only has it got a load of great lines, I think a lot of the lessons in Platoon are still applicable today. And the main one being is, is, is sort of toxic leadership. Mm. Uh, and you see it in the sort of the, the two of the Platoon sergeants, Barnes and Elias. And uh, I think it's Barnes is this the scarred veteran with no moral compass. And as a young soldier, that's the one you sort of gravitate towards because he's the hardest. But looking back on it now, you realise that he was quite toxic as a leader. Uh, and, a, and a malign influence on his platoon. And you tend, to, as an older I think, you, know, you start to gravitate to Elias, who was trying to do the right thing throughout some pretty harrowing moments in the film. Yeah. And I, I guess in a way, um, I, you know, partly um, these sort of Vietnam movies, Full Metal Jacket, Platoon, Apocalypse Now, uh, even Good Morning Vietnam, I, I, I guess it, it just was it was a time so they they sort of came out while we were serving in the military so you know it is it's something we're going to going to be interested in but but it was um you know predominantly americans in southeast asia but um you know we we don't ever want to forget um the australian classic the odd angry shot but that must have been on heavy rotation um you know in in our barracks so you know i watched it so many times and 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 you're right that's the um 
to look at the different types of, of leadership. But, um, you know, things like your angry shot also showed some of those, you know, patrolling skills and, and that actually, you know, it, it really got into the, what must it feel like to be there? Probably more than some of the older films, um, which were more, you know, big screen epics in, in the UVs, um, really got down. And I think it's a jungle as well. You know, jungles are by their nature, um, dense and uh, enclosing. And I think it brought that side to it as well. You know, you, you really feel a part of it. It's a film, a firm favorite of Kev's that one, isn't it, mate? Yeah. But I tell you, I need to reach back a little bit because, because uh, one of my favorite films is Pork Chop Hill, which is Korea. Mm. With, uh, and again, it showed it was late fifties, I think it was done. So it wasn't done too too soon after the Korean truce, and it showed that um, it wasn't like a, the normal Second World War film. It did show all the the, the faults, the failures, uh, the, the wider political piece as well. And I, 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 it's still one of my firm favourites, and it's also one of the first films where you had um, black soldiers fighting right. because in the Second World War. They weren't able to fight. It was only later there was like films about the uh, the American Air Force, but in the in the Korean War it was a different piece. And also, it, it didn't give off an anti-war vibe. It was just about uh, obviously fighting for a hill that they were going to give back anyway. Yeah, and you saw later on though. Actually, that's a good point about the black troops because yeah. by by Vietnam, Vietnam was fought. Yeah. They're all yeah. drafted, and it was predominantly uneducated black and white kids from. The yep. poorer parts of the states that got involved in that war. Yeah, it couldn't. It couldn't beat the draft. Who couldn't re- de- yeah. defer? Um, but at the same time as as uh, the Vietnam films came out, obviously Mash was, although it was supposed to be focused on Vietnam, uh, Korea, yeah. was a very uh, anti-war. But it gave that view of the of the wars that were going on at the same time. Mm. And Mash is a classic. Yeah, I mean, yeah, although not a film. I mean, they did make a film. They made a film as well, yeah. And then the series, but absolute classic film, mm. Mash. Yeah, it's interesting. You, you know, you talk about the um, the poor, less educated um, elements of the of, of the soldiers who you know fought in Vietnam and, and were showcased in, in the movies. And I think that's that's a really interesting point because um, I, I, I guess for uh, people who were drafted into Vietnam, um, you know, that, that's where a lot of the focus came on, the, the story of, of these people. And, and and even, you know, the officers in other ranks were t- to some degree in the, in the same boat in that the, the officers had, had come in quickly. It wasn't a kind of old stages who, who's a military veteran who's been around for 15 years who is now leading on. It was quite often it was someone who didn't know what they were doing either. He's, you know, rocked up on the same boat as, as the guys. So and You saw that in Platoon, didn't you? Where yeah, the Platoon yeah. commander was weak and was dominated by uh, yeah. Barnes, wasn't he? Yeah. I, I think uh, as well, another thing that, that um, I, I guess always, always intrigued me slightly, especially with these sort of films as well, was um, we quite often got to see um, the before as well. So before they went to, you know, the big centerpieces of battles. So, so we'd see um, in, in a, in a few of the films, you'd see the, the training sequence, you know, them, them actually going through boot camp 
as it were, and what it was like in barracks back in the States before, before they were sent out. And, you know, it, it's always full of the, the sort of cliched screaming drill sergeant, um, the whole full metal jacket, full metal jacket, you know, break them down so we can build them up again. All, all of that That's kind of process. one liners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, but full it, metal jacket, again, is, is the Saturday evening. Glass yeah, of right, right. drink. But he was an actual... Gunnery Sergeant, yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't his part. Apparently, it wasn't his part. He just got the part in the end, and he t- he made it his part, and then that's it. Because I think he was supposed to instruct the actor to yeah. play a Gunnery Sergeant. Well, fact from the film here, you know, in the in Full Metal Jacket, where the the door gunner shooting up the civilians in the fields, he was going to be the Gunnery Sergeant, right? And he got booted off because uh, the 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 act Lee Ali Army got the the part of Gunnery Sergeant Hartman. Yeah. But also, too good. But don't forget as well, the other thing that you tend to forget is because we are getting on a bit now, but Vietnam, when we were on the trip, it only finished 13 years beforehand. And I, I remember going down on the Lerp Medics course at the, the Lerp School in Vanguard. Yeah. And there was a couple of American SF medics there teaching who had served in Vietnam. So yeah. Yeah. Sticking needles into us and uh, putting in IVs and getting taught the use of tourniquets, and these guys had done it in the jungles of Vietnam. Yeah, yeah, def- definitely. And I mean, it. it I, I guess that's that's part of it, possibly for for us. Is is you know you you do see a connection. Those people were still around. Likewise, you know, we're for you know people who joined up in the seventies. They'd have been joining up at a time when they were still, you know, second world war or Korean veterans yeah. around them as well. So, yeah, it, it did sort of bring a, bring a lot of things home. And, and I guess, um, you know, talking of these movies, there's, you know, Oliver Stone himself, you know, so so again, who who directed um, Platoon, you know, he served in Vietnam. Yeah. And so, so there's that whole thing of, um, I guess, these creative types wanting to tell their story as well. You know, this is what it was like for me, um, you know, and yeah, it's, um, I think as well, he, the other film we haven't mentioned is born on the 4th of July, which mm-hmm. is based on, uh, the real story of Ron Kovic. I think who was yeah. a, a American Marine who was shot in the back and became a paraplegic. And there's a brilliant scene in that film where he's in a bar playing pool and he's pissed out his head and he starts complaining about the Vietnam War, and uh, a guy who's playing at the next table comes across and calls him a pussy and said, I was at Iwo Jima with the Marines. And I think that highlights that sort of generational change where that gen- that, that Marine from Iwo-, Iwo Jima was involved in a war that was black and white, and mm-hmm. that it was, without being too bland, it was good against evil with a definite aim. Whereas Kovic is in a wheelchair, paralysed against a war that's, let's just say, morally dubious maybe. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The the sort of that whole, um, you know, uh, you could you could class it as gung ho or don't go. You know, there, there, there was a, you know, you know, as there was that look of, of a lot of the Vietnam films. Are, are we do we want to portray all this action and, and heroism, or, or do we want to look at you know the reasons why? And I, I guess a lot of um, films, you know, later on fed off that. Um, Killing fields and and things like that, yeah. which which were really looking at, you know, a, a deeper elements uh, between, um, yeah, some of these conflicts as well. So, so it makes the the, the World War Two films, even the later ones, it's safer ground, mm. less controversial. Yeah, you concentrate yeah. the story and the character without the 
background politics that overhung it. Yeah, yeah. I think as well it was glamorous to the un- mm. to the un- to the uninitiated. War mm. is glamorous. Yeah, you know what I mean. And to, and to young men, and, and these days young women, they look at it and they see these films, and there's a glamour attached to them. And uh, as you know, when you go in operations and it hits you for real, it's not it's not very glamorous at yeah. all. Yeah, yeah. Stagging on. <laughs> I guess I guess there's that. Um, I, I think it's a you know a human um, element. You know that that thing of, of of I can imagine people watching these sort of films and saying, "I wonder how I would cope. What would I be like in that situation?" So I think that's that's that appeals to a lot of people. They they want to see how how they would deal with something, or or they imagine how they would. But, um, and I think any so we, we we were like that, didn't we? Do you remember when any tour to Northern Ireland came up in the eighties? Because back in the eighties, before Up Granby, mm-hmm. Northern Ireland was your only chance to get on operations, and people were knocking down the doors to get over to Northern yeah, Ireland. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I think that's, or, or I was going to say, now that might not be quite accurate a timeline, but or, or building walls to. Absolutely, yeah, 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 yeah. build a good wall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of, kind of private end jokes in a podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, um, there we go. Now, but uh, it, it, I've always found it really um, interesting as well. And, and I guess from from the Vietnam, whether it's just a, a general chronological um, fact of life, but um, it's still giving in in terms of movies. So, so you're now getting movies about old veterans from Vietnam, possibly more than you ever did from any other time. So, um, you know, the, 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 there's a Clint Eastwood, uh, Gran Torino where he's, you know, an ex vet who's having his car stolen by the hoodlums. You know, he's in his fifties or so, fifties, sixties or so. And, it, and it's an anti-hero as well. Yeah. Quite yeah. Racist, isn't he? Yeah. But, but it, but it's kind of showing that, yeah, the, the the psyche or the the injured warrior or you know the trauma is is now part of a, a theme of movies that are that are, are being made you know back in America of American life today but they are reflecting on you know what what caused what caused our people to be the way they are and i think the other reason vietnam movies are so successful is vietnam had the best soundtrack going yeah um, definitely. that music from the 60s i mean yeah. You know, you look at all they had, Credence Clearwater Revival, Hendrix. We went to the Gulf War 91 and got vanilla rice. <laughs> just, <laughs> there is no justice. Uh, uh, but I, I guess then if, if you're going to talk about, uh, you know, the music of it, then, then Good Morning Vietnam was, was a, you yeah, know, an interesting classic. sort of sidebar, if you like. It, while there was um, conflict in that, it, you know, that wasn't the... The be all and end all of the story. It, it was the story of a, you know, a, a DJ serving in in Vietnam and and how he tried to raise morale and 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 go against the, you know, the starchiness of of that backroom, um, you know, um, unit he was involved in. Yeah, great film. The Americans are probably in Vietnam. You get job as job as a DJ or in Full Metal Jacket as a as a journalist on the front line. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think I think that's you know one of the things that always um, you know strikes me is is how different you know that that portrayal of of conflict is because of the American influence. I, I mean, I remember um, in the Gulf um, one of the once we had gone through the breach and we were sort of 
head down. One of the next things things I remember seeing was fleets and fleets of American um, vehicles carrying Coca-Cola vending machines. You know, because <laughs> you, you know it, it's it, you know it, it's part of you know it just showed how different they are to to us in a way. Uh, but yeah. there we go. But I guess um, for me, really, you know, all these movies we watched and watching together, it's real part of, I guess, maintaining and growing the bond that we had in in true life. You know, when we weren't out in the field, we were we were hanging out together watching these films. And you know, there's a lot of these um, movies, but but some of you know the toughest times, you know, when you know the RSM is going to be checking the areas the next day that you need to to have a bit of fun and that was alleviated with um you know some lines from some of our favorite movies so, so there's a few films that I've, I've loosely put under and now for something completely different um which really you know aside from the military type movies we we, we also watched a lot um classics like the blue Bro- blues brothers uh, even Die Hard, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, or The Italian Job, um, some, some great movies. But what, one of the things that, that is a, a real memory for me, um, and I think it was Ferris Bueller's Day Off, it would have to be, um, was there was some general or something coming to visit camp in Dortmund, and it was a huge um all camp areas was going on and the whole place was being swept to within an inch of its life. But up in a little room in the block, there was sergeants and warrant officers and troops of, of the OP troop, curtains drawn so no one could see, watching a movie. You know, we're not going to be out there doing that. We're going to, going to hide. And I, I always remember our, you know, uh, Sergeant Major at the time sort of, you know, every so often go, shh, shh, shh. They're coming, they're coming. Turn it down a bit. And then we could turn it back up and watch it. You know, the movies uh, really re- really gave us a little sense of escape, I think. No, I agree with that, mate. And I think um, those comedies as well, the, 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 the quotability, used to get them on exercise and, and, and all the rest of it. But there are things like Billy Conley. Um, at that time, his stand-up videos were doing the rounds as well. And I always remember you know, a few beers at night on a Friday watching him. Yeah, yeah. A few beers. Well, for, well, a couple of beers for you, Kev. Lots of beers for the rest of us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, 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 but it is, it, it was, you know, it, it was, it was, um, I mean, g- going back to when we went through um, selection, Colin, we, um, um, Gaz had a, had a comedy video that we watched all the time and toodly woodly daughter and you know oh, we watched them yeah and we've just yeah. watched that constantly and and it, it was just um you know a real uh, icebreaker <laughs> element you know it, it allowed us to lighten up the mood wherever we were and i remember when uh, you'd be on out on exercise hanging out your backside and maybe meet up at an RV, and, and instead of doing the password or the pass number, it'd be toodly woodly. Yeah, and, <laughs> and, and, yeah, and I, I can't think that you know that, that can't be um, you know discounted the the amount of you know the ability to raise morale or get you over a tough time was was just that little bit of shared experience and a little bit of um, yeah you know just something that gave you a yeah we're all into this together and we're all all you know we all. Singing from the same hymn sheet, really, I guess. 
Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. I, I always remember, um, I'm a big fan of the Blues Brothers and watched it, it so many times. And again, that's a, you know, a quotable film par excellence. And, and I always remember, um, in, in Northern Ireland, actually, when, um, in, in South Armagh. So, so just, um, I, I guess my, my last, last tour anywhere, really. And, um, was in a brick and we'd, we, we came together, sort of, there was a bit of a, a chinwag going on and, you know, four of us all got together. We all leaned in and, you know, I, I was a brick commander and I, I sort of just looking around at all of these earnest faces wanting to know what's going on. And I, I just couldn't resist it. And I just went, orange whip, orange whip, three orange whips, <laughs> you know, a, a sort of Blues Brothers line. And it, and it was, you know, probably some of the young lads are going, what, what the hell's he on about? But, you know, it's not to show your age there. Yeah, yeah. It, but it's just one of those things where, yep, yeah, you know, there's, there's got to be something that, um, yeah, breaks the ice a wee bit. Kev, you any um, Kev's always going on about things that get cut or serpico. Oh yeah, come on, era. mate, we can't we can't let you get off without saying something about those films because I know you love them. Yeah, well, I think the seventies brought out some of the the real gritty films. I think I, I I sort of looked at the American sort of film industry and could, because again Vietnam was on, so they couldn't really focus on war films as such unless they were of. Second World War issue. So a lot of the old American detective cop films came out, you know, the gritty New York, um, some based on true stories like Serpico and um, uh, Super Cops. And then obviously the fictional ones like Popeye Doyle in French Connection, which is which was absolute fantastic. And it still stands the test of time. If people and I would say, it. mate, you were, you were the Popeye Doyle of the troops. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wore a pistol on my ankle. <laughs> and a trilby. <laughs> <laughs> but they were just classic films. I just thought, and Get Carter again. Yeah. Of the I, time, in the early 70s, Michael Caine, it was, a bit, it was getting to be a big star doing a gangster film in Newcastle. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, yeah. classic. Uh, I, I mean, I, I think you're right. I think the, the um, you know, the, the gritty um, yeah. element w- w- was – was a real factor. French Connection, obviously, you know, a, a brilliant movie. And but, but I, I wonder if part of it for for ourselves as well. It, it, it's not so much that you know it was something we were likely to experience. You know, we you know we weren't in New York, we weren't in New York, we weren't in the police sort of thing. But it, it's that um, being up against it, um, mm-hmm. having to to find your way through. You know, um, d- deal with with difficult situations. I think that's part of part of what resonates with us but but also it's just really good movie making isn't it you know yeah and and, and serpico and all that sort of stuff and papa doyle and all that they were all the out they were always on the outside of the norms they were always operating against the system as well as trying to do the right thing in a sometimes so, a bad that's way so, that sounds familiar yeah yeah well, yeah. well, that, well that, i think that was that's what appealed wasn't it, it was yeah. that um yeah. Yeah. that that non-conformity <laughs> Well, well I, I remember one podcast, Simon. I, I used the term "maverick" to, to, to describe guys in the troop, and Kev said, "No, we can't use the term maverick. That makes it sound like um, I don't know what you said, Kev, but you know what I mean." Yeah, yeah maverick think, comes across as a negative. I think it's almost like, yeah. um, but where's unconventional? Yeah, yeah. You know, when you when you like you talk about people like Wingate, not compare us to Wingate, but Wingate was not a maverick. He was he was uh, enlightened, perhaps is more, but for the for the for the majority of the army, they used the term maverick as a negative about yeah. the way he was trying to operate. But I think MD on the outside looking in would have used the term maverick for us. Mm. <laughs> but a quick one as well, going back to how use of lines that you're going about that, uh, 
orange whip thing. I always remember on PT, it was a classic car to link. Cause always trying to beat each other. And it was always that if somebody came in behind you, it'd be the, you're a big man, but you're out of shape for me. Yeah, it's a yeah, full time yeah. job. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but, but I, I, I guess as well, you know, the, I, the, the cliche of a lot of, um, you know, the cop movies, like you say, it, it's for the slight outsider who, yeah. who always gets, you know, called in and says, I'll have your badge and I'll have your gun and you're, you're out of here sort of thing. And, you know, um, well, I, I guess with us, they, they gave us a badge eventually, but people are still trying to figure out how it should look as well. So, <laughs> so I don't know. wanted to give us a gun, mate. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. So we haven't got any Desert Island dits this time, Simon. What you got planned for the end of the pod? Well, well, well I thought, I, I, I guess because we've, you know, we talked about books and, and movies now, and, and I, I suppose one thing um, missing is, is 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 music, and I think um, you know there's been some classic movies, uh, uh, sorry, music made with a slight military um, element to them. Um, you know, we we talked about uh, Vietnam, so there is the classic Vietnam, um, a, a great bit of Jamaican reggae. There's 19. Um, Kev's favourite in the army now, by status quo. But you've you know, just ruined the street cred side. Yeah, yeah. but but uh, yeah, Who's the, status quo. But but are there any um, songs that, that stand out for you guys? I'm going to go a little bit left of field. I back in the the eighties when we were listening to all this stuff and watching all these films, it was all about the Happy Mondays, the sort of Manchester scene, New Order, and I think I'd have, I was a bit of a secret hippie, you know. I'm, I always liked a bit of Crosby, Stills, Nass and Young, that sort of 60s stuff. So I'm going to pick Ohio. And it does have a tie in to the, uh, what we've talked about because it's about the National Guard shooting dead four students protesting against the Vietnam War at Kent State University. And, and I think as well, and a bit of the irony is that these kids protesting that got shot were probably unlikely ever to go to Vietnam yeah, yeah. <laughs> because they could evade the draft. Um, and I just read Chrissy Hines' autobiography and didn't realise she was at Kent State when this happened and uh, one of the blokes that got shot was the boyfriend of one of her mates. So uh-huh. I do like a bit of Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young and Neil Young, I've got to admit. Cracking. Kev, what are you picking? Well, I, I, I went more on uh, the, the classic war films. Uh, so I went back to the Battle of Britain and uh, it was the dogfight scene and the way that they there was no sound apart from the, the orchestra and it was... Um, it was called The Battle in the Air by Sir William Walton. But I just thought the way they captured the, the music and the action, it just gelled so well. And for me, I all, whenever you see it or you hear that music now, you can picture the dogfight. Mm. And, the, and the, you know, these, these some of them really young kids, they did 20 hours training the Spitfire, and all of a sudden then they were thrown into the air to go and fight the, the Germans who were far more experienced at um, air warfare. Nice, nice. Well, I, I guess I've I've stuck with with some of my favourites, but but I always think this is a bit of a uh, a movement away from from the normal. So I'm I'm a big Joy Division New Order fan, and um, New Order brought out some some brilliant brilliant records. But but one that struck me is is an album track called Love Vigilantes, um, and. Bernie, when he was was writing, he said he wanted to do a bit of a redneck tune. He'd been listening to a bit of country, and he thought he'd try um, try to do something. So he wrote wrote this song, and it's um, it's essentially the story of a guy who's returning uh, from a war that had to be won, 
and he's returning to his family and um, basically he gets home and as his wife opens the door, she falls down on the floor because the telegram in her hand says that I was a very brave, brave man, but I was dead. And and so it's this kind of, he just tells a little story of, of someone coming home and he said he had no idea where the idea came from. He, he just ran it through and it, so it's very unnew order like but but the um the premise of the song is is really great you know someone saying for my country i would die and i will see it soon you know is a really moving moving element of, of what is kind of a a jokey song but um a real great one yeah coming from manchester though mate lots of back in the day there was like a war zone at times so he's probably not far off for that experience yeah well exactly i mean uh, that, that's one of the things i always find interesting when when you look back at you know and, and music's a great one for it because you know if it's all album covers or, or pictures of a band and, and places like manchester liverpool and uh, you know I'm, I'm sure you know um glasgow birmingham the, the amount of ruins and rubble and, and things like that, it, it was, you know, we were growing up when there was still a lot of... Uh, Your bomb sites. Bomb sites, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, funny enough, I was talking to somebody the other day there about this, and I was saying that when you came back on leave from Germany in the 1980s, the contrast between the two countries was huge. You went from Germany, which is a well-ordered country, neat, tidy, you know, a really nice transport system, uh, and you came back to the UK... And it just looked a dump. It was filthy. It was the trains didn't run on time, and there was a huge contrast between the two countries. Yeah, yeah, but they they still didn't quite suss out how to stop squaddies jumping on trams without paying. But you know, <laughs> there you go. But yeah. they did have the all day drinking, right? And that was yeah. another contrast. Yeah, that, that, that back was, to UK. Yeah, pubs were yeah, open eleven true. till two, then shut till five, and then yeah. open till eleven. Yeah, yeah. But you couldn't go down the laundry, then go in the go in the pot for twelve hours uh, in the UK at the time. Yeah, no, no, so, no, that was it. That was it. But you know, it, it's that's that's uh, you know those cultural differences uh, were, were you know an interesting one because there was us. You tell us we can drink all day. We we just go hammer and tongs. This this is it. You know, we're was meant to be pacing ourselves and and trying things out, but no, it was. Uh, well, Strange I went back times. to Dortmund in 2005 and we left there in, what, 93, I think it was. And I decided, I was there with a couple of guys from 12 Regiment, which was my old, the regiment I was into before I came to the troop. And we did, I deliberately did a tour of all the bars that we struggled or couldn't get into. Hmm. And I, I got chatting to one of the barmen there and he said it was a bit bizarre. He's saying that, yeah, they didn't let us in because we behaved badly a lot of the time. But looking back on it, they didn't realise how much we brought to the local economy. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, massive. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Dortmund, I'm, God knows how many gunner regiments were there. Mm. It was five, I think, wasn't there? Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. Plus all the dependents. Yeah. Like yeah. Five, 6,000 Brits there, I think. Yeah, that's a massive amount of money. Yeah. Employment. Right, so thanks for coming to the pod, Simon. Uh, it's great to have you back on. Thank Don't you very much. next Christmas. Thank you. So, and also thanks again for listening for your continued support and suggestions. And as usual, please keep them coming. And you can get it to us through our email and social media links, which are at the bottom of the show notes. You can find us on all the usual suspects, including Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. And if you want to get in contact with Kev, you can send a pigeon or a Royal Mail letter. How much is a first-class stamp these days, Kev? Yeah, I don't know. I just, <laughs> I just buy them. I just ask for first-class stamps. I hand over my card, and they give me stamps. There we go, mate. So, 
modern technology. For life. Modern, modern technology. It's modern, isn't it? Um, if you've downloaded us from iTunes and like the podcast, please leave us a review or leave us a review where you get your podcasts. It's a great way of building up the audience. And thanks again to Nick Beale for his continuing support and sponsorship to the series and offering technical support through his company, ISAR. And we'll see you next time on The Unconventional Soldier. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.